0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on the Four Prayers of Paul. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at LighthouseDiscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And in case you want to know how you can do so, you can simply give online by going to our website lighthousediscipleship.org, going to our give page, and you can give from anywhere uh, from the world from there. If you want to send us a check, you can make all checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and on the foot of every page on our website is our mailing address, and you can send it that way. So, and mm-hmm. we appreciate you for you. We appreciate you for doing so. Thank you for that. Uh, we will have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock here at Pacific Standard Time on Everless Change by Andrew Womack. And again on Wednesday night at 7 by the, Believer, the Believer's Authority, again by Andrew Womack. Here all the times I'm stating are Pacific Standard Time because we're here in California. Okay. So uh, anyway, uh, without, that, without uh, with all those announcements aside, some of you might have missed us the last week or two because uh, we've been on vacation. And we are back here in the saddle and, the, and, and, and things, and uh, we did though pre-record uh, weeks, uh, our seventh lesson on this teaching, and we did post it on Facebook, as well as YouTube, as well as our our website. So in case you missed that, you can simply go back to, uh, uh, again, our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, Disci- Lighthouse or our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and you can get uh, part seven that was pre-recorded for you. Uh, it wasn't... Live stream that was pre recorded so that you guys didn't miss that. So, I we apologize for any interruption in that, but we are back in the, in the swing of things on our both Sunday morning and uh, Sunday night and Wednesday night services. Okay, but this is week, this is part eight of my eight part series. I'm hoping to, to, to conclude this message this morning uh, that I want to start a new message next week. But uh, I have a lot to cover still uh, here in the, uh, before of Paul, so I don't know if I can get it all in one week. If not, we will go another week, so uh, week nine, so, okay, without that, without ado, let me go ahead and give a message. Like I said, I have a lot to cover, and so uh, we want to get into that, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's been a, a couple of weeks since I've spoken, so um, a little dry in the throat. All right, so we're talking about the four prayers of Paul. and Like I said every week, Paul prayed more than four prayers. I get that question all the time, even though I keep saying it. Did Paul only pray four prayers? No, there's more than four prayers of Paul, and there's more than four prayers of Paul in Scripture. But there's four, what I consider primary prayers of Paul, that I use all the time in my own life and in, in ministry as a pastor. And these are four prayers that we are highlighting in this particular message. Okay, Paul did pray other prayers. Most of the other prayers that I've seen are very short prayers. And but uh, these are four, what I consider, primary prayers of Paul. And why, do I, why am I saying this? Because I believe most of us, if not all of us, are where we are today and I walk with God because of Paul. Most of us would have never been introduced to Jesus and that would not understand salvation, would not understand uh, uh, the Christian life if it wasn't for Paul. Now, someone else might have preached the gospel to you, but they use the letters of Paul to do so. And so... And Paul, as the apostle of, uh, of grace, and, the, and most of us have gleaned, because Paul wrote most, most two-thirds of the New Testament. So it's hard for you to hear the gospel without hearing Paul. And if Paul, who has revealed the gospel to us, is praying a prayer, and not only is he praying a prayer, but he wrote out the prayer so we can study it and glean from it. We all have gleaned from Paul. And it behooves us not only to that to listen to Paul in all of his letters, which I encourage all of us to do, but at the same point in time, I believe Paul is expressing his heart as an apostle in a, in a very pastoral way. He's an apostle, not a pastor, but he did plant churches, and he does have a pastor's heart. And he, and he is expressing that heart in these four prayers. And as a pastor myself, I want you to understand what Paul is trying to get you to understand. And I just, I, I just, I dream. But when I, when I read these prayers from that perspective, that Paul is sharing his heart, and there's something that he wants us to understand. I don't know about you, but I just pay attention a little, little more than I do maybe at maybe other times. <coughs> because there's something that Paul wants us to get, and he, he's very clear what he wants us to understand. <clears throat> so we've been looking at four prayers. These four prayers that we are looking at in this particular series are two from Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter three. And then also Philippians chapter 1. And then this last one that we're focusing on again today. We we did it last week. That was pre-recorded. In case you missed it, you can go to the archives and get it there. But we are, we are going to finish up on this last prayer. The prayer of Paul in Colossians chapter 1. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So let's read this prayer again from Colossians chapter 1. And then we'll get into it. Okay? For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the saints and the light, and he has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of, of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Now last week, like I said, this was, was pre-recorded, but last week we, we talked, we really capitalized on this first phrase, this is a very similar phrase that Paul had in the first prayer that we covered in Ephesians chapter 1, for this reason. Paul is very clear in the first prayer that we covered in Ephesians chapter 1, and Colossians is the one he gets, He's very specific as what the reason for this prayer. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more clear than that when he says "for this reason." So last week in the pre-recorded message, we spent pretty much the whole time talking about "for this reason." In order, in order to understand "for this reason," we had to go back and look at the beginning of the chapter uh, and what prelude this prayer. And that's what we did last week. We looked at verses three through eight uh, more primarily, and we did uh, before we got to the, the heart of this prayer. And so we let me just recap a couple of things. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but one thing that Paul talked about is that he had heard of their faith. <coughs> he heard this uh, of their faith through Epaphras. Paul did not. We don't. We don't have any record that Paul specifically went to a Colossae. He may have, and we don't have any record that he didn't go. But we don't have any record that he did go. We don't have any evidence of that. Okay, either that or it's not clear that he went or didn't go. Okay. But Paul had heard of their faith. <coughs> and how did he heard of the faith? To Epaphus. Epaphus was from Colossae. And he was, uh, he was a, and, and Paul, we mentioned how there were several times how Paul had mentioned this man. And he, how he, even Philemon, had mentioned that he was a fellow prisoner of his. And Paul thanked God for the love that Colossians has shown, not only to God, but also to each other. Very similar language that Paul, in the the, the introduction of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul almost begins with the same letter to Colossae. Paul did go to Ephesians, or Ephesus. Uh, He did not necessarily go to Colossae. But he introduces both both churches almost the same way. We also piggyback on how true faith is more than a conviction of the mind. It transforms the heart to love. There, there, there is a transformation in the mind, but there is a renewing of the mind that we talk a lot about in this church. But it also transforms the heart to love. Okay, And see, when we understand God's love for us, we can then love one another. Paul was committing them for their love to God and committing them for their love for one another. John says it this way, we love because he first loved us. You cannot love God. You cannot love yourself. You cannot love each other the way you should without first receiving His love. That's impossible, okay? And so, uh, but His love and true faith is transforms the heart to love, okay? We also talked about, and we'll get get into this a lot more deeper, there's more to salvation than just forgiveness. By saying that, I am not watering down salvation. I mean, forgiveness. Forgiveness is foundational. It's essential.
1: And in one sense, forgiveness is more important than some of the other benefits of salvation, but there's more benefits to salvation than just
0: forgiveness. For example, when I say forgiveness is or righteousness is the foundation, and I'm going to be spending the next eight weeks to the end of this calendar year on talking about righteousness starting next week if I get done with this message. If not, we'll, we'll start in two weeks. But Righteousness is the foundation. But just like this house that we are preaching this gospel from, the foundation is the most important part of this building. But it's not the only part. If all we had was a foundation, but we had no walls, we had no roof, we had no windows, we had no door, we had no plumbing, we had no electricity, this this house would be pretty empty. But the most important part of this house is the
1: foundation. Because if the foundation is not good, the whole house can come crumbling down. The foundation is essential, but the foundation is not the only component of this house. Okay? Is that making sense? It's it's the most important part, but it's not the only part. Forgiveness is the most important part, because without forgiveness you can't enjoy any of salvation. But
0: it's not the only part of salvation. That's what I'm trying to say here. And I believe that's what Paul was trying to convey in all four of these prayers, specifically this prayer in Colossians. There's more to salvation than forgiveness of skin. In other words, there's more to salvation than most of us have understood and comprehended. And that's one thing Paul is conveying in all four of these prayers, specifically this prayer to the Colossians. And I've said this before, but I want to say it again. To the degree that we understand how God's kingdom works and apply it in our lives, we can experience heaven on earth to the degree that we understand how God's kingdom works and apply it in our lives. We can experience heaven on earth. We all want to experience it, but we are all we are all experiencing a different degree of God's kingdom in our lives because we all have a different understanding of how His kingdom works and we all are applying His kingdom in our lives. At different levels and making sense the kingdom is the same for everybody but we all have a different understanding and we all have a different application to that kingdom and therefore our experiences are different okay back to the prayer with this reason we also since the day we heard do not cease to pray, <coughs> pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in our wisdom and spiritual understanding. This whole concept of Paul praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will is the same thing he's been saying in all four of these prayers. If there's one common denominator in all four of these prayers is that Paul is praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Okay? And so, Paul, see, Paul just expressed... In the previous verses, before he started his prayer, the Epaphras good report of them. He had just expressed their faith in Christ Jesus. He had just expressed their love for him and his love and his own love as Paul, the apostle, his love for them. We spent time talking about these things last week, but Paul had just expressed these things in the first eight verses of this epistle, this letter. And Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just that they would not just have the knowledge of His will, but that they would be filled with it. Okay? Filled overflowing with the knowledge of His will. Even, we talked about last week how Paul even Paul longed to know Jesus more. Just because Paul is saying that we should know, know His will more, that's not a put down. Even Paul himself wanted to know Jesus more. He said this in Philippians. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be conformed to his death. Okay, the New Testament apostles also gave themselves continually to prayer and to preaching and teaching God's word. It says in the book of Acts, chapter six, that but well, we the apostles give ourselves a continuing to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The reason Paul, the apostles appointed the seven, like Stephen and Philip, <coughs> among six, uh, among five others. Is that so that they can be continued to prayer and to the ministry of the word? So, when the time comes, the reason we want to have a staff for our church is so that we can give ourselves more than prayer into the preaching of God's word. But when we are doing everything, not because we want to, because there's no one else to help us out, uh, we, 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 we are limited on how often and how consistent we can be in prayer and ministering the word as pastors and teachers. That's not a put-down, that's just a fact. Okay? And that's just how it works. Okay? It's like in the business. If the manager, if the manager, the owner of the business doesn't have a staff, he's got to do everything. That's just how it works. Okay? You can't delegate something if you don't have anyone to delegate things to. And so, anyway, that's not a put-down. That's just, uh, but, the, but the, the point I'm trying to make here is that I think Paul's expressing this prayer to Colossians is the same thing that all the apostles express. Okay? And so, anyway, Paul's ministry to Colossae. Let's look at this real quick. We talked about this last week, but we're recapping what did we talked about. And so, I mean, to, uh, you might have re- miss of this stuff, not catching a pre-recorded message that we already had. Okay, Paul to See, Paul when Paul's ministry to Colossae was without
1: any physical appearance.
0: He didn't. He didn't go there. More like when he wrote this book, he was actually in prison. He talks about that in verse eight. Yeah, he's in prison when he wrote this book, okay? And through prayer, God and through his prayer, God imparted uh, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and strength in helping others in the spiritual walk. Through his prayer, through his letter, and through this letter to the Colossae, and, and more specifically this prayer that we we're, we're highlighting right now in this message, Paul imparted knowledge, wisdom, and understanding and strength, and the helping down to walking, uh, walking the spiritual walk. Let's go back to Colossians. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And in the wisdom and spiritual understanding, <coughs> we'll come back to this in just a moment, but in verse 10, he says that, why does he pray this? Why does he want us to be filled with the knowledge of his will? So that You may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's that knowledge again. Okay? We're going to come back to some of these things, so bear with me. Love is based on knowledge. Knowledge of God is foundational. I already kind of established how knowledge is what foundation is like. And Paul desired that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. When we only then only when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will can we are we able to walk worthy of the Lord. Only when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will can we be fruitful in every good work. Only when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will can we uh In other words, there is no other way for anyone to fulfill God's will if they don't know what it is. Okay? You can't fulfill something if you don't know what it is. The starting point for everyone is to know and understand God's will. That's the starting point.
1: But how do we
0: obtain such knowledge? And we talked about this last week in our pre-recorded message. We listen three things how to obtain the knowledge of God the first one that we talked about is desire if you don't desire it I can't help you <laughs> no one can help you I can teach it I can create an atmosphere for it I can I can dissect it but I can't give you the desire that comes from you Jeremiah says it this way and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart God said this in the book of Jeremiah Jeremiah 29, verse 13. But we have to seek Him and find Him when we search Him for with all of our hearts. People often ask God for the knowledge of His will. But! There's that big but in the way. Okay? But! I'm going to go back. People often ask God for the knowledge of His will, but they are not seeking Him with all their hearts. Okay? No one... Who has ever sought God with all their hearts have ever been disappointed? Nobody. Okay. So how do we obtain the knowledge of God? The first thing we hear is we have to desire. it. The second thing is the Holy Spirit is the dispenser of God's wisdom. We looked at this briefly last week in 1 Corinthians 2. But God has to them them to us through His Spirit. But the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11. What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit. <coughs> Verse twelve. Now we have received, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. There's a lot here in this in this letter to Corinthians. <coughs> And so, but Paul saying that one thing, we
1: can't know the
0: things of God. that We can't know the things that are freely given to us without the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit that reveals the things of God, the deep things of God. It's the Spirit of God who reveals the things that have already been freely given to us by God. There has been many things in this salvation that I talked about a minute ago that have been freely given to us. But we can only know them by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit who is our teacher. It's the Spirit who is our guide. One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to reveal God's will to us. He has many other aspects, but one of the primary aspects and purposes of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us God's will. In John 16, Jesus said before he went to the cross, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Where he will not speak of his own will of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will tell you things to come we must depend on the person of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us excuse me so we were talking about how do we obtain the knowledge of God we need to desire The Holy Spirit is the dispenser of God's will. And the third thing we talked about last week is we need to study the Word of God. To be filled with the knowledge of God's will, we must be filled with God's Word. God's Word is His will. You cannot separate those two. You cannot say God's Word will not be absent of His will and His will will not be absent of His Word. You cannot separate those two. Those who are ignorant of God's word are ignorant of God's will. I see this all the time. I hear this all the time. I hear people on Facebook all the time. They mean well, but I can tell by the the, gospel, the message they preach, they're ignorant of God's will, and therefore they are also ignorant of God. They're ignorant of God's word and they're ignorant of God's will. I'm not saying this to put people down, but I see it all the time. Okay, And I'm not putting people down because I used to be like that. And in some ways, none, none of us know everything. We are all growing. We are all maturing. maturing. None of us have arrived. If you are, think you have arrived, then you're a fool. Okay? None of us have arrived. Praise God for what we have come. I'm not saying we're all ignorant. And I'm not saying we are all know nothing. But we, we, we all have some religion still in us. We all have some areas where we can grow, including me. Okay. And so that's one part of image one part of maturity is knowing that you need to grow up. One part of maturity is knowing that you need some help. You know, anyone who comes across as a know-it-all doesn't know anything. Yeah, you know. And so we we all have some areas where we are ignorant of God's word. And because we are ignorant of God's word, there are areas where we are ignorant of God's will. Okay? But the more we know God's word, the more we will know his will. Okay? Going back to Colossians. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of this, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in our wisdom and spiritual understanding. I told you we would come back to this. See, wisdom is the ability to use knowledge correctly. That's that's, that's just how it works. That's just a a natural uh, uh, explanation of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to use the knowledge. Knowledge is great, but if you don't know how to use it, you don't have wisdom. Okay? For example, uh, you know, I've gone to school. I've got school, not just in elementary high school. I've gone to college. I've gone to Bible school. I've also gone to school for accounting and other other things. And, and school, you're trying to get knowledge. But, I mean, I even gra- graduated from accounting. I graduated as valedictorian. I was the top of my class. But knowledge doesn't give me wisdom of how to use it. I might know it academically, but in the real world in a real business that is a livelihood for real people i need to know how to apply that knowledge and it takes wisdom of how to apply knowledge say my job as a pastor is to teach you knowledge but i'm also trying to teach you things through wisdom so you can use it so you can apply it to your lives okay all spiritual understanding originate and conforms to the Word of God. That's one thing I'm trying to convey here. Okay? Any reason that violates God's Word is not spiritual understanding. Anyone who teaches you something that violates the Word of God, they are not understanding God's Word. There is no wisdom. There is no concept.
1: There is no teaching that violates God's Word that is spiritual understanding. Any teaching... Now, violating God's word is not
0: spiritual understanding, it's demonic. I can prove that through scripture. Okay, it's, uh, for example, the book of James talks about there's two kinds of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom and there's spiritual wisdom. Book of James, chapter 3, verse 15 says that natural wisdom is earthly, essential, and it's demonic. But spiritual wisdom is peaceable. It's, it's willing to be entreated. That means it's teachable. It's without hypocrisy. It's full of mercy. And go, and there's a whole list of things in, in uh, James chapter 3 verse 17 of what wisdom, what spiritual wisdom is. Okay? But anything that violates God's word is not spiritual understanding. There's many people who have taken scripture and made a doctrine out of it of violates God's word, and it's not spiritual immaturity. It's not spiritual understanding, it's actually spiritual immaturity. <coughs> okay? Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding must work together. Here's an example of how these three things, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding work together. For example, the mind is like the hardware of a computer. It has the capacity to store information. The mind is like a hardware of a computer. It has the capacity to store information. But it's useless without software and data. A computer without any software, a computer without any data,
1: is useless.
0: It has the capacity, but it's useless without the data, without the software. But understanding
1: is the data. Okay? And wisdom is the software that allows us to retrieve process and utilize that information or data.
0: This is just a way for me to understand these three concepts of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. The mind is, again, it's like a computer that has the capacity to, to, to store information, but it's useless without software and data. The understanding is the data, but the wisdom is the software that allows us to retrieve, process, and utilize that data or that information knowledge and wisdom and understanding work together. So, going back to Colossians, for this reason we also since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in our wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. We're not done with these verses Mm -hmm. yet, okay? Now Paul prayed, that we would know God's will, that we would be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we would walk worthy of the Lord, that we would be fruitful in our our walk, in our lives. Is this not good? Do you not want to know God's will? Do you not want to be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding? Do you not want to walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him? And do you not want to be fruitful in every area of your life? We can do none of these things without a proper knowledge of God's will. We can't do any of these things without knowing His will, without knowing His word. Okay, Knowing God's purpose and plan for our lives is indispensable for a Christian life. Your Christian life cannot function without knowing the purpose and plan of God for your life. Your life cannot function, and it cannot function properly anyway some people are trying to function in the Christian life without the knowing the purpose and the of the prime God. And that is just foolishness. Okay? Going back to verse 10. That you may walk worthy, we're going to come back to that. Of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful, and every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's deal with this fruitfulness in light of the knowledge of God before we go back to you talking about. The first part of this verse okay the fruit of knowing god's will let's talk about this for a moment paul says i want you to be fruitful in knowing god's will so that you can walk worthy of the lord being pleasing to god and being fruitful in every good work there's there's three things primarily that paul is talking about in this particular verse in in colossians chapter 1 verse 10 that we would walk worthy of the lord that we'd be pleasing to god and that we be fruitful and doing good work. That is the fruit of knowing God's will. The fruit of knowing God's will is that these three things will take place in your lives. There is no way we can walk worthy of God's will without knowing His will. There is no way that we can please God without knowing His will, and there is no way we can be fruitful without knowing His will. Okay, knowing God's will is not a one-time experience. We increase in the knowledge of His will. Colossians 1.10 says, That you may walk a of the Lord, <coughs> fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, not just some good work, but every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay? If you are not growing, you are not being fruitful. If you are not growing, you are dying. A tree, an animal, a plant, a human being that is not growing is dying. That's just how it works. Okay? A tree, a fruit tree that is not bearing fruit is useless. Okay? It's not... It's, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of increase. It's supposed to be fruitful and multiply. That's how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. That's God... God commanded in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, God commanded every seed to produce out its own kind. There's supposed to be multiplication. There's supposed to be fruitfulness and multiplication. Something that's not being fruitful is not fulfilling its purpose. Okay? And we cannot do these things without increasing in the knowledge of God. We're going to go to verse 11, and then we're going to come back still. Verse 10. <coughs> Let me read this in context. say so you may walk within the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. I'm going to come back still to verse 10, but let me, well, let me deal with some things in verse 11. Okay? Being filled with the knowledge of God results in a lifestyle that is pleasing to the Lord. Okay. As we experience the blessing of knowing his will, we will be strengthened through his power. I know that's deep, so let me slow down a minute. As, not before, not after, as we experience the blessing of knowing his will, we will be strengthened through his power. As we, and let me add, before I add this, let's go back. As we experience the blessing of knowing his will, we will be strengthened through his power and to all patience, long suffering, with joyfulness. When I combine these two verses together, actually this whole prayer together so far, as we know His will, we will be strengthened with power unto all patience, long-suffering, and joyfulness. As we experience knowing God, we are blessed, being pleased to God, being fruitful for every good work, something I've already established. So here, let, me give, let me just give you th- three things. That I believe is being said so far. We're going to still dissect this a little deeper. But the first thing is, as we are filled with the knowledge of God and all wisdom and understanding. Okay, that's verse 9. Okay. We are able to walk with the Lord, pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work. That's verse 10. Verse 11 says, and these fruitful blessings that we're talking about result in us being strengthened through God's power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. This is this is Colossians one nine to eleven. Uh, that's the summary. I almost basically just restated me first. Okay, so let's let's go back to this. Okay, let's go back to verse ten real quick. Let's talk about this word that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Let's look at this word walk real quick. Walk is a figurative pattern of our conduct of lifestyle. It's a figurative word. Okay, it talks about our lifestyle. Let's talk about how we live. Let's look at John for a, for a moment. And in in, in three of his epistles. In First John, Paul, I mean, John, sorry, this won't work because it doesn't come up. In J- First John 1 7, John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the war, light, we have fellowship with God with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. I'm not going to go into all detail with this right now because that's not my message. But he's talking. Figuratively about how we walk in the light. Okay, we're not literally walking in light. Okay, we are figuratively walking in light. He also uses in Second John. This is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from Him from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Okay, same type of language. John uses the same word also in Third John. In third John verses three and four. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than <coughs> to hear that my children walk in the truth. I don't have any physical offspring, but as a pastor I have very I have spiritual offspring, and I have no greater joy than to hear that children, God's children are walking. <coughs> excuse me, are walking in the truth. On Facebook and different things. I have no you know, when you say amen and different things in my message, you know, that that blesses me to a certain certain, certain point. That's respectful, and I appreciate that. I've got to make a statement. I'm not trying to do away with that. But you know what blesses me more? Not when someone says amen or something or whatnot, and I get a lot of that. and I appreciate that. That's proper. That's right. That's the right thing to do. That's the right response. Okay? But what you know what blesses me more? Is that not hearing that you are walking in the truth. That blesses me.
1: Because the whole
0: reason why we're doing all of this is not so you appreciate me. My whole reason why we're doing all of this is so that
1: you are walking in the truth. I'm not saying it's wrong. to say It's proper. It's right. It does bless me. It is the right thing to do. It, you know, when you're teaching to someone, it's nice hearing some feedback that you are communicating. And an, an, an amen, saying hallelujah, praise God, it's proper. It would be improper not to say that. But that's not what I'm looking for.
0: I'm looking for language. I'm looking for a response that tells me that you're walking in the truth. And one says, don't tell me you're walking in the truth. Show me. (laughs) And and, and some of you, I don't know you enough. I'm not in your life. I'm not in your country. And so I can't see you walking in the truth. But that's what blesses me. Because that's my purpose as a pastor. My purpose is not get amen and hallelujahs. My purpose is to see you walk in the truth. I hope you hear my heart in this. By saying that, I don't want you to stop saying hallelujah, amen. I just, that's not my point. My point is I'm just echoing what John's saying here. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. But I'm really, I, that was just a little freebie. That really wasn't my message. My message is that this word walk is used throughout the whole New Testament. Okay? And it's a figurative pattern of a constant lifestyle. Okay? Some of you are on the other side of the planet. I can't physically walk with you. Okay? But I can hear that you are walking with God. I can hear that you're walking in faith. In the truth of that word. Because the word walking is also an acting in conformity to our union with Christ. That's what it's speaking of. Paul doesn't use the word walk just this passage Scripture in, in Romans 7.4, 7, 4, but the connotations there. Therefore, my brother, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to one another to him. I'm sorry. I said, I said it wrong. That you may be married to another, excuse me, to him who has raised him from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. If we are married to Christ, we are walking with him. I'm married to my wife, but we are also walking in life together. Okay, and so when we go back to Colossians, that you may walk worthy, that we might have a lifestyle that is worthy of the Lord.
1: How do we walk
0: worthy of the Lord? We can't try it. We can't, we
1: can't if we try in our own strength. You cannot walk worthy of the Lord if you're doing it in your own strength. That's an oxymoron.
0: It doesn't work, Okay. John, Jesus said it this way in John 15, for without me you can do nothing. Did Jesus lie? No. We can't do anything. When he means nothing, he means nothing, absolutely zilch nothing. You cannot do anything in your own strength. But Paul did say in Philippians, I can do all things through so Christ who gives me strength. You can't do anything without Jesus, but you can do all things with him. That makes sense? Okay? That's enough to go home on. Okay, the secret
1: to the Christian life is living from the strength and resources of Christ himself. That's one thing Paul is saying in all his letters. John included, James,
0: all the apostles are saying the secret to the Christian life is living from the strength and
1: resources of Christ himself. Paul said this in Galatians two. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's walking worthy of the Lord. That's it's, it's a different terminology, but it's the same concept. Paul had an attitude and a
0: mindset and a lifestyle that he realized he was crucified. He was dead in Christ. I reckon myself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, Romans 6-11. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is walking a life worthy of the Lord. How did he even do this without the knowledge of God? You can't. Paul could never have said this. Paul could never have lived this without the knowledge of God and the knowledge of His Word. He prays that you may walk worthy of the Lord,
1: fully pleasing Him. What pleases God? If he's our Abba, if he's our Master, if he's our King, if he's our Lord, if he's our God, what pleases God? Hebrew says, without faith it's impossible to please him. When he comes to him, must believe that he is and he is a reward of those who diligently really seek him. Paul says it this way in Romans, for without, whatever is not of faith is sin. The sin please God? No. So, anything that's not of faith doesn't please him. Now, that's, that seems like a heavy heavy pill to swallow, okay? Paul said it this way in right? verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. For in it, what the gospel of the righteous God is revealed, from faith to faith, so that we, the righteous, the just, can live by faith. One of the common uh, teachings of the, of the gospel is that the just, the righteous shall live by faith. We don't, just, uh, we don't just have faith. We live by it. We live this life by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anything that's not of faith is sin. So any life that we live without faith is sin. If you are living a life without faith in God, where does faith come from? The Word of God. And you can't. The well, God is the Word of God. And if you don't know the Word of God, you don't know the will of God, you cannot live by faith, because without the Word of God, there is no faith. And anything that's without the Word of God, anything that's without the knowledge of God, anything that's without God, anything that's without faith, is sin. But we're not supposed to live a life with sin. We're supposed to live by faith. That's how Paul said in Galatians 2,
0: the life I now live, I live by the faith of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's actually right here. Paul said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Not by sin, but by faith. Where? Faith in who? The Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. What pleases God? Faith pleases God.
1: Trusting God. We call ourselves believers. Why are we believers? Because we believe! How did you get saved? You heard God's word And you believed it
0: and you were saved. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not just faith and it's not just grace. You can't have, if you have grace but you don't believe it, you're not saved. And if you have faith and you're not believing in His grace, you're not saved. It's not just having faith. You can have faith in yourself, you can have faith in someone else, you can have faith in in Santa
1: Claus, but that's not going to save you. What's going to save you is faith in Jesus, it's grace. This God-pleasing faith is specifically a faith in God's grace. This
0: God-pleasing faith is not an act of holiness. Faith is not in our actions.
1: It's not Faith that is in our actions is not pleasing to God. That doesn't please God. If you have faith but it's in somebody
0: else or yourself, that doesn't please God. Because that faith did not come from God's word. Yeah, that is not of God. But Romans eight, 8 says, "For so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God." True. But once your faith, once our faith for justification, our righteousness is in God and not in ourselves, there are things we can do that please God. I want to slow down a minute. And read this again. Once our faith for justification—that's the same word for righteousness. Is in God and not ourselves there are things we can do that please God and these things that we do are called fruit it's not the root it's the fruit and the fruit of our lives because we are trusting in God not ourselves is pleasing to God and when we have faith in God there will be fruit and it will please God. The fact that you don't have fruit or the, bad that the, fact, the fact that there's bad fruit tells me that your faith is in something else, not God. That makes sense? Every fruit, every seed will produce fruit according to its kind. And if we have faith in God, there will be fruit that pleases God. Things that please God, children obeying their parents. He says this in Colossians chapter 3, same book that we're reading. Okay? Doing good and giving finances. This is talked about Hebrews, chapter 13, among other scriptures. Praying for those in authority. It talks about this, about pleasing God. There's other things, there's a lot of things in the New Testament. I'm just highlighting. them in <coughs> okay now I'm highlighting a few that if you read these scriptures, it will specifically say that, that these things please God. Praying for those in authority. Okay? basically a lifestyle that is consistent with the word of God, is pleasing God. Pleasing God has rewards. Okay? Hebrews 11 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see that. It was not found, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. This is back in Genesis, but Hebrews 11 records him in the heralds of faith, because he pleased Ephesians 5, says this. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, we were once in darkness, but now are in light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. There's that word, walk. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's kind of a short version of the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Something that is, is acceptable to God is pleasing to Him. He doesn't accept things that are not pleasing to Him. Okay, That would be an oxymoron. Let's go back to Colossians. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, not just some good work. I want to be fruitful in my marriage. I want to be fruitful in my jobs. I want to be fruitful in my finances. I want to be fruitful in my health. I want to be fruitful in my relationships. I want to be fruitful in every, every area of my life, and I want it to be good work, not bad work, not evil work. Okay, Paul prayed that our lives would bear.
1: Our lives are supposed to bear fruit.
0: Okay? And Paul prayed that we would produce all kinds of good works through our union with Christ. This is a very common thread of all Paul's teachings, especially in these four prayers, and specifically this prayer that we're talking about here to the Colossians. Paul prayed we would continue growing and producing this fruit. And good works are the fruit Are the fruit. Not the root of our salvation. Doing good is not how you get saved. It's the fruit of being saved. We need, we need to understand that. Okay, let's look at this real quickly. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, I'm going to quote verses 2, 8 9 right now. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Those two things, I've already talked about those. And not of yourselves. It's not of yourself. Okay, it is a gift of God. A gift can't be earned. It's given. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But verse 10 says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk in them. There's our word walk again. Am I making sense? Walking worthy of the Lord. Romans 6.22 says, But now having been set free from sin, Having been set free, that's all we done. Half this, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to everlasting life. You were saved first. You were born. You were set free from sin first, and then you live a the life. Then you have fruit of holiness. You do not live holy to be set free from sin. That is backwards. Okay, you are set free from sin, and then the fruit of holiness. Fruit. Let's talk about fruit for a moment. Okay, there's a lot of scripture in the New Testament talking about fruit. Fruit. There's fruit in keeping to repentance in Matthew three, 3, 3 uh, Matthew three verse eight. There's trees bearing good fruit and bad fruit. Okay, um, every tree will produce according to its kind. Go back to that one real quick. There's the fruit of the kingdom of God. There's the fruit unto eternal life. There's the fruit of abiding in Christ in Christ life. There's the fruit of discipleship. There's a fruit of harvest of our souls, Romans 1.13. There's fruit of unto holiness, which we just talked about. There's fruit unto God. There's fruit of of righteousness. There's several scriptures talking about that, New and Old Testament. There's a fruit of the Spirit. There's a fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. We just talked about that. There's a fruit of one's labor. There's a fruit of the gospel. There's fruit of being fruitful and good works. We just highlighted that in this particular prayer. Okay, and the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto God in Hebrews chapter 13. Okay, and this is is not an exhaustive list, but this is just, there's there's multiple kinds of fruit from walking with God and knowing Him. Okay, let's go back here. Colossians 1.10, that you may know, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That That word knowledge just keeps coming back up. Okay. Even Jesus had to increase in knowledge. It says in Luke, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor of God and man. If Jesus needed to increase in wisdom and knowledge, we do too. So anyone who thinks they don't have to increase in wisdom and knowledge is saying that they're better than Jesus. Because Jesus had to increase in them. And if Jesus had, Jesus, the son of God, yes, he, he laid that divinity down, become the son of man. But Jesus had but He was also born of incorruptible seed, not born of corruptible seed. There was no sin in Him. There was no sin in His nature. I know some of us can't understand that, but that's why we had a virgin birth. Then people have asked me, "Why did it have to be a virgin birth?" Because the seed is in the man, not the female, and every all mankind was corrupted because of Adam's seed. But Jesus was not was born of a woman, but the seed did not originate in Mary. The Holy Spirit conceived the seed of Mary. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas here in a couple of months, and it's all about the Virgin Birth. What Jesus, not only did He not commit a sin, but in Him there was no sin. There was no sin nature. He was this. He 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 laid His divinity down. Yes, but He was also He was also born. Uh, he was not born of Adam. He was born of God. And that's a whole deep concept that some of us haven't understand. Let's go back to Colossians. For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Let's talk about this word strength for a moment, Okay. The word strength in in the Greek, it's a present participle. In other words, it means it's a continuous action. See, when you study the the original languages like Greek, it's not just whether it's a noun or a verb or different things like that. There's also different tenses. And the tense of this word, and and see, some of these original languages are richer than like English. And some other languages are richer than English, too. But it's a present partial, meaning that it is a continuous action. It's not, in other words, it's not a one-time thing. It's continuing happening, being strengthened. And it's being strengthened by God. And being strengthened by God is a continuous process. It's not just a one-time. You cannot be strengthened on Sunday and expect to be strengthened all week long. It's a continuous process. Okay? being strengthened on Sunday is sometimes better than some other people who are not getting strengthened at all. So I, I'm not I'm not throwing the baby out of the bathwater, but some of us need to change the bathwater more often. Okay, um, but it's a continuous action. <coughs> okay, for example, gravity gravity doesn't stop when a plane flies. It's still it's gravity is a continuous action, even though the of the plane is flying. But a plane must continuously produce thrust. uh,
1: uh, uh, (coughs) An airplane cannot just produce thrust to get off the ground. If it does not continue to have thrust in the air, it's coming down.
0: It must have a continuous action. Okay? You follow me so far? If thrust ever stops, the plane will fall. That's what I just said. Satan's warfare does not stop just because we became born again. We need to be strengthened by the power of God continuously. How many of you know that you may take a vacation, you might have a day off, you may go back to work, but the devil never takes a day off. And he will continue to come after you, even though you're born again. Especially because you are born again, he's going to come after you. In one sense, but being born again puts a, a bigger target on your back. Becoming a minister, becoming mature, knowing the will of God gives you a back, bigger target for the enemy to come after you. <coughs> that's not to fear you. That's just to, that's just to inform you. Okay, let's go back to this. Strengthening with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, for all patience and long suffering with joy. Okay see what I'm wrong with this, okay. Let's go to, see what, this whole idea, let's focus let's focus on the word strength, let's focus on this word might for a moment. These two words Paul uses a lot. In the second prayer of Paul that we talked about in Ephesians 3, Paul says this way, that we would he would grant you according to the riches of the glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Might comes through the Holy Spirit. Paul prayed that we would be strengthened with might according to his glorious power. Luke said it this way, or Jesus said it this way in, in, in Luke's second, second letter in the book of Acts. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay? And again, the same thing that was spoken in Ephesians 3, which I just mentioned, that you be strengthened with might. Through his spirit. His spirit is involved with this. In the first prayer, of Paul that we talked about, he said it this way, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us, and the word power again, who, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And what I'm trying to do is I'm, this word might, power, strengthen the Holy Spirit, Paul connects these dots continuously. Okay? Paul prays that we're with all might and according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. What I'm trying to do here is bring this whole scripture together. Okay? I've got a little choppy here, but I'm trying to dissect it and then bring it together. Okay? Let's talk about patience and long suffering real quick. Patience and long suffering are closely related. Okay? How do you know you need, be, need patience to be long-suffering with anybody? Okay? Long-suffering is used more in relationships. We see that more. When long-suffering is talked about in Scripture, it's usually in the context of relationships more often. It involves forbearance, endurance, and slowness in avenging wrongs. Well, here's a point I'm trying to get to real briefly here. The difference between tolerance... And patience and long suffering. Those are two different things. hope you're listening. I'm not talking when I'm talking about patience and long suffering, I'm not talking about tolerance. Okay? Bear with me for a moment. The difference between tolerance and patience and long-suffering is joy. Paul said. And he wants them to be strengthened with all might and according to his glorious power. That's all done by the Holy Spirit. I just talked about that. For all patience and long suffering with joy. See, the world's counterfeit of patience and long suffering is easy to distinguish without this critical ingredient called joy. See, we are miserable. When we try to operate in temperance for the flesh. When you try to tolerate something in the flesh. Most of us are miserable. Because we're doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in our own ability. But temperance is the food of the spirit. Okay? Patience is the food of the spirit. Joy. Joy. Is a fruit of the Spirit. Tolerance is the best we can do on our own strength without the Spirit of might. And most of us, some of us, if a, if, if our tolerance gives in because we're doing it in our own strength. The flesh wins. We get angry. We say something we shouldn't say. We do something we shouldn't do. We give in to the lust of the flesh. And sometimes the lust of the flesh, not only when we talk about the lust of the flesh, we think about immorality and stuff, and that can be part of it. But sometimes the lust of the flesh is to get angry at someone and binge somebody or say something or do something that we shouldn't have done. We let our emotions become the best of us. And when we are strengthened by the power of His might, we can move into true patience and long-suffering. True patience and long-suffering actually rejoices before the desire in comes into view. You can't understand this and how can you operate this? By the Holy Spirit. That's where the power, that's where the strength, that's where the might comes from. And you can't do this without the knowledge of His will. Okay? Paul's praying that you will be strengthened all might according to His glories, according to His power for all patience. Yes, he wants us to have patience, long suffering, joy, but it is according to his power. It is according to his strength and his might by the Holy Spirit. But this goes right into the next verse, giving thanks. I I think it's the NIV. It says, giving joyful thanks. (laughs) Okay? To the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the saints and the light." Let's talk about giving thanks. We can't operate in all patience and long suffering and joyfulness without thanks, without giving thanks. Thanksgiving focuses our attention on God. (coughs) Thanksgiving gives us an, and I don't know if I can pronounce this word. word. You might have to help me, Sherry. Thanksgiving gives us an an, inoculation, inoculation, inoculation. Thank you, against doubt and unbelief. I looked up this word in the thoris, and I don't know if I can pronounce it. I tried to practice, but that's why, I have, that's why I'm married to a, a dictionary. Uh, Thanksgiving gives us
1: an inoculation against doubt and unbelief. So many of us are trying to overcome doubt and unbelief, but the, 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 the main ingredient, the number one ingredient to inoculate uh, doubt and unbelief is being thankful. Because you put your focus on God and you inoculate your unbelief. Sorry, I hit the button. Is that making sense? When you try to overcome doubt and unbelief in your own strength, instead of being faithful, putting your focus on God, you can't... <coughs>
0: you, try to, you try to focus on anything else. You try to, 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 you try to steer your focus on anything else because you're doing your own strength. But Thanksgiving inoculates doubt and unbelief. And Paul says, I pray to you, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the saints in the night. Let's look at this verse in the King James Version. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light." God has already qualified every believer to partake of his inheritance. He said in John chapter 1 verse 12, But as many as received him through him, them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. If you believe in Jesus, he has already given you the right to be his child. If you are his child, then you are his heir. You have a right to inheritance. It is never a question of God enabling." ableness. It is always a question of us knowing what we already have. It's always a question of us believing what we already have, having faith in it. It's always a question of us acting on what we believe. Because faith without works is dead. If you believe it, you will manifest, you will act on it. Okay? Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance and light. God is not going to enable us in the future. God has already enabled us through Jesus Christ. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance and light. Let's look at this word meet that the King James uses. This word meet, carnal. And it means to make sufficient or render fit to partake of God's inheritance. As children of God, we have already been supernaturally enabled to manifest the blessings of our inheritance. Going back to first, to John. But <coughs> as many has received him, to them he gave a right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Let's go back to the gospel real quick. Now let's look at this from the NIV. And giving joyful thanks, and not we joyful, to the Father who has qualified you. That's the way the NIV interprets this, translates this verse. To share the inheritance of his, of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Let's talk about our inheritance real quick. See, an inheritance is an allowed portion. It is described as eternal life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 19, And everyone who has left houses, our brothers, our sisters, our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our t- fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Because of persecution, people have had to leave houses and brothers and family, even family members. He hits almost every family member right there. But it's not just leaving people. It's doing it for my sake. Because of persecution. If you read the context of Matthew 19, he's talking about persecution for my sake, not because you did them some, something stupid, not because you weren't able to forgive them, not because. But there's sometimes where you have you are uh, you have to leave certain things for his sake. He says you will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Inheritance is, it is in a lot of portion it is described as eternal life, and it's the part which. One will have an eternal salvation. Eternal salvation itself, example, the eternal salvation which God has assigned. You know, when we talk about salvation, we have we have spoken on this many times in this in this church, but we talk about how it's wholeness, its healing, its prosperity, and its deliverance. But salvation also includes being born again, and really, that's the foundation of it all. But it it, it includes the forgiveness of sins, which again is the foundation which I talked about at the beginning of our message this morning. There's also vast stores of wisdom, and vast stores of understanding is also in this seed called salvation, which is Christ. Let's go back to Colossians. For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, and whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Okay, that's the prayer. I just recited the prayer. We, we dealt with, uh, basically, through verse 12, and then now we're getting to verses 13 and 14. Okay, the conclusion of this prayer. See, Paul said a lot of these things that he said here in verse, let's read this again. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Paul said almost the same exact things in his first prayer that we covered in Ephesians 1. And one is the seeing greatness of his power for us who believe according to the work of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also now which is to come. See, as believers in Christ, we have the same power God used to raise Christ. And everything we have as believers in Christ comes from our union with him. Everything. There is nothing you have that doesn't come from your union with him. If you have something that didn't come the you with him, it didn't come from God. Okay. I, I, that's not what I'm trying to teach here, but I, that, that goes with it. Everything that is true of Christ is true of us. Just as Jesus is now above all principality, so are we. Just as Jesus now is above all power, so are we. He has past tense, delivered past tense, us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us past tense into the kingdom of his Son, of his love. Okay, God's deliverance is already accomplished. We are not trying to get free from the de- power of the devil. We just need to believe what we have. Okay? We are only fighting against the devil's lie. The devil has no power. The only thing he can do is deceive you. The only thing he can do is the same thing he did to Eve in the garden before the fall, before sin, before he had power, was deceive you. He deceived Eve and Paul says in Corinthians, I, I, I am jealous with you over a godly jealousy that the same way that the enemy deceived Eve, he will deceive you. The devil can, he's a father of lies, he can only lie. And if you are going to you're either going to believe his lies or you're going to believe God. There's only two ways about it. There's not a middle way. Either another way of saying it is either you believe God or you don't. Okay? And if you don't, then you're believing a lie. Okay? Paul said to Timothy, bite the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See? Paul said, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his dear love. Let's look at this verse 13 real quick in the King James. It says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. We are not trying to get translated to God's kingdom. We are already in his kingdom. Jesus said, look, the kingdom of God is within you. It's not here or there. We are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 6. We are who raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According <coughs> to Colossians chapter 3, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We are not trying to get translated into God's kingdom. We only need to believe what had already happened to experience his benefits. He had delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Okay? He had delivered. He has conveyed us. It's in this whole phrase, this whole terminology in the Greek is in the aorist tense, a different tense. Okay?
1: And the aorist tense means the action spoken of is to be viewed as completed as whole. That's what the aorist tense is describing here in this context. That this action of deliverance and completion is is viewed as completed. It's not just past tense. See, the error tense goes deeper than that. It's completed as whole. Our salvation is complete. Our deliverance is complete. Same word, just a different
0: translation of that same word, salvation. Our translation is completed.
1: The Christian life is walking, there's that word, walking by faith. In accordance with what God has already freely given to us. How do we know what's been given to us? The Holy Spirit reveals what's given to us. Romans 6 11 says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be past death,
0: death, and Jesus' <coughs> sin. Excuse me, but the lie to God in Christ Jesus.
1: It's a continuous action, but it's a completed action as well. And we need to reckon ourselves. We are not reckoning ourselves as becoming dead to sin. We are wrecking ourselves as already being dead to sin. We are dead through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are crucified with Christ. We are not heading towards victory. We are coming from victory. I know I'm going over it just
0: a little bit, but bear with me, I want to finish this out. We are coming from victory.
1: We are born into victory. Christ Jesus already defeated the devil. He's not going to go to the cross again. He's not going to go to hell to get the keys again. He already defeated the devil. Satan is already under our feet. We talked about this extensively in the first parable. Satan's only weapon is deception and intimidation. We have nothing to fear. Fear is not from God. Fear is bondage, according to 1 John chapter 4. And Colossians says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son? Let's work this word translated again. This I can't pronounce that,
0: okay? It's not even my point. But it means to, to remove from one place to another. It means a change of situation or place. Let's get some examples of this, this word being used in a translation, okay? The same Greek word being used in, in, in Luke chapter 16 where he says, a steward being put out of his stewardship. That's a translation,
1: not putting out. Okay? Saul, it's talked about in the book of Acts, but it's talking about King Saul being removed from his kingdom. It was a translation. Okay?
0: Why, did, why is it Greek? Because it was talked about in the book of Acts, which is Greek. Okay? Paul, turning people from idols is the same word as being used. The same word being used, faith removing mountains is the same word being used.
1: Okay? Being translated to the kingdom of the dear son, the verse that we're talking about right here in this prayer. See, the believer is completely removed from the kingdom of darkness. Completely removed. It's in the air sense. We are completely removed from the kingdom of darkness and completely conveyed or brought into the kingdom of the dear son. You cannot be in two kingdoms. We are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Satan is not my king. Jesus is my king. Amen? Who
0: hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And in the King James, there's a colon. After verse 13. Verse 14 After the covenant, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Redemption is not something we are striving to obtain. Redemption is an accomplished fact. We are the redeemed of God. We are redeemed. Hebrews 9 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I'm going to be talking about this in more detail when we get into talking about righteousness next week. Okay? And for this reason he is the medi- 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 mediator of the new covenant by means of that, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Verse, uh, Hebrews 10.10 10, By that will we have been sanctified, past tense, have been sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I'm going through this a little fast and I'm going to teach on this in a lot more detail later. Okay. Hebrews 10, 14 says, Well, by the one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We have been perfected forever. The redemption that has already occurred is in our born-again spirits. It's in seed form, but it's already there. And our born-again spirits are already forgiven and perfected as Jesus is. Jesus said, and answered and said, "Most assuredly, he say to you, unless one is born, he cannot see the kingdom of God." He went on to say, What is it is born of the Spirit, the Spirit. When it is born of the flesh, is flesh." And we are born of the Spirit. We are born of God. We. And if you see, unless you are born again, you can't. You can't even see what we're talking about. You cannot perceive it. You cannot understand it. Not only can you not enter the kingdom of God, you cannot even see the kingdom of God if you are not born again. Paul said it this way, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And in 1 John it says, love has been perfected among us in this that he may be. We may have boldness in them just because as he is right now, so are we in this world. Our born again spirits are already forgiven and perfected as Jesus. But the redemption of our bodies and souls is not complete. Our spirits are born again, but the redemption of our bodies and our souls is not complete yet. I'm not going to teach on this in totally, but I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to share a few verses that speak towards this. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-54. But well, this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immorality. He's talking about after Jesus comes again. So when this corruption has put on immorality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is up in victory. 1 Corinthians 13, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. He's, still, he's talking about our flesh. He's talking about our, our, our souls and our body. Okay. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away child things. Well, For now we see the mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. In Ephesians 1.14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the person's possession to the praise of the glory. There's a lot of verses. I'm not going to go into all this detail right now, but our born again spirits are already forgiven and perfected just as Jesus is. But the redemption of our bodies and souls is not complete yet until Jesus comes. Okay, I'm not going to go into all that detail right now at the whole other teaching. That's the essence part of this prayer, in a sense. But, uh, hey, we're, we're but our spirits, that's the part of that, that's a part, really part of the prayer, is that we are already redeemed, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Our spirits, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Our spirits are redeemed. I'm going to do, in this new year of 2022, I'm going to do a whole teaching on redemption. I'm going to do a whole teaching. I'm being redeemed. And I'll get into a lot more detail. I'm going to be doing teaching on righteousness next. Which has a lot to do with redemption. But I'm going to go into redemption. Uh, uh, a little more detail here. Okay? But let's look at a, little, a few things. Uh, redemption. Redemption is a buying back. A setting free by paying how we ask a ransom price. Okay. See when we understand redemption. God created us for himself. And everything God created was good. There was no sin. God did not create sin. Okay? Everything was good. But Adam sold mankind into slavery to the devil. And Jesus brought us back through his precious blood. See, in Colossians, again, in whom we have redemption through his blood to the forgiveness of our sins. This is illustrated in the book of Hosea. The whole book of Hosea. Hosea was a very different prophet than all of the other prophets. His life was an illustration of what Christ was going to do. See Hosea. When the Lord began to speak to him by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go, take yourself a wife of the harlotry and and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord." So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblain, and and she conceived and bore him a son. In verse two, so I Hosea three two. So I bought her Gomer. To myself, for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half Homer's bar. I'm not going to go all in detail teach on Homer on, on, uh, on Hosea uh, uh, I'm trying to wrap this up I'm already uh, way over time uh, but I'm trying to wrap this teaching up In the same way that Hosea bought his wife who was a harlot God had bought us with his blood We were all sin and fall short of us we in one sense were' all hearts. but god has bought us she did not deserve to be her his wife but he bought her anyway and we did not deserve god we did not deserve this redemption but it, we hosea did not purchase gomer because she deserved it And he gave it because he loved, he was merciful. And God has brought us not because we are good, but because of his great mercy. It is through Christ's blood that redemption has been provided. There is no self effort that could bring the divine favor we needed. There is no human works that could bring the divine favor we needed. There is no self righteousness that could bring the divine favor we me. Christ's blood was enough, Christ's blood alone satisfied our death. Christ's blood alone satisfies our death penalty. Christ's blood alone redeemed us. Our debt is paid in full. We are redeemed. Our redemption
1: is eternal. It can not be touched. It's eternal. It's not physical. It's not natural. Hebrews 9.12 says that not, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And I'm going to be teaching on this a lot more in the coming year. But in the Old Testament, sin was punishable by death. Ezekiel says, "The soul who sins shall die, and the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. The soul must die." (coughs) Okay, but the shedding of blood in the Old Testament sacrifice. Sacrifices symbolized this death penalty that Jesus died on the cross. He now became our sin. He became our death penalty. And the blood of Jesus was not symbolic, but the actual life of God. And the blood of Jesus purchased our redemption. We are purchased. Jesus has our title deed, and it's Jesus. He's our testator. And the life of God purchased our redemption. It's purchased. It's paid for. In Leviticus 17 says, in the middle of the law, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I
0: have given to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And Hebrews echoes on this, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no redemption. There is no salvation. The blood of Jesus accomplished, purchased the church. It instituted a new covenant. It, it brought us close to God. It provided peace. It purges our consciences. It gives us boldness to enter the most holy place. I know I'm going through this fast. You can get this through the archives. Okay? Cleanse us from all sin. The blood of Jesus <coughs> enables us to overcome the devil. It provided propitiation. It provides justification. It provides remission. It provides sanctification. It provides eternal redemption. Okay? There's a lot of things in the things the blood. The, in I, talking about the redemption next year, I want to talk about the blood of Jesus. People think it's gory. It's the most precious, beautiful blood there is. Because everything is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of the dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. The forgiveness of our sins is one of the great themes of the Bible. You might have thought I downplayed it at the beginning, but I wasn't. It's the foundation. And the blood of Jesus is what provided our total forgiveness. Our sin was great, but his blood was greater. His blood covered the whole world. His blood covered everyone. Forgiveness is not the end goal, though. Forgiveness is a necessary step. It's the foundation. But the real goal of forgiveness, is a relationship with God the Father. That's the goal. We had to be forgiven. We had to be redeemed so that we could have,
1: We could not have a relationship with God without, because sin was in the way. Jesus became sin, took the pill sin so that we could be in right relationship with God. That's the goal. Forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness was necessary. But the goal is the relationship with God. If all you do is confess your sins, but you have no relationship with God, that is not the goal. That's not Christianity. That's religion. We have a relationship with God. Not just a sinner's life. It's not about not sinning. It's about Jesus. Sin is ugly. Sin is stupid. Sin will cost you more. Sin is not of God. But it's not about sin. It's not about not sinning. It's about Jesus. Sin is in the way. And anything that's not faith in God is sin. And this is eternal life. That we may know you, the one true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Sin was a barrier to that relationship. Sin had to be dealt with through the blood of Jesus. And those who stop with the forgiveness of sins only only don't experience eternal life. You You don't have eternal life if all you did is not sin. You only have eternal life by knowing him. Those who don't experience eternal life in relation to God are missing the heart of the message. They're missing the heart of salvation. Our sins were forgiven so that we may enter into intimacy with God. Paul prayed that we would know this truth. Paul prayed that we would understand this truth. Paul prayed that we would experience this truth. Paul prayed we would experience being God's family, His temple, His people, His church. For this reason, We also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of the Son,
0: of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may be walked worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the saints in the light who he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood through the forgiveness of our sins. These are the four prayers of Paul that we have covered. And I feel like I rushed to this last one. I want to get some more teachings. But you can replay the message and play in slow motion if you want. But so these are the four prayers of Paul that we've been talking about. And I'm over time. Thank you for your patience and endurance. But uh, these are just powerful prayers. I can go a lot deeper with all of these. Next, Starting next week until the end of the year, just before Christmas, I'm going to be talking about it being established in his righteousness. And that is my key teaching. I teach. And when we started this church, I taught all year on this. And again, I teach a whole year's message in eight weeks. And so... Um, uh, So this is my key teaching. Without this, this church is, I don't want to do this church. This is everything I believe. Everything I believe stems from this. There's many other things I want to teach. But this is about righteousness and truth on the foundation of this throne. And there's so much I can teach on righteousness. And so we're going to be teaching on this uh, starting next week. Righteousness. I don't want to just teach about righteousness. I want you to be established. So we'll talk about this more next week. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.